Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Anthony C. Ferrante, director of Sharknado. This is Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute. This is Frank Joseph. I'm the author of an essay in the latest book, Lost Secrets of the Gods. Hi, this is Nick Redfern, the author of Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Hi, this is Jesse Proofus, the producer of JFK, The Smoking Gun. Hello, this is Marty Langford. I'm the director of Doom, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. Hi, this is Kevin Randall, author of Alien Mysteries, Conspiracies, and Cover-Up. Hi, this is Tracy Roberts, founder of Closet Security. I'm Jeremiah Bomek, the producer of The Real of Horror. Hi, my name is Bill Hall, author of The World most haunted house. Hi, this is Micah Hanks, and I'm the author of the book, The Ghost Rockets. And you're listening to Emmy on the Graveyard Shift talk show, blogtalkradio.com. Hello, I'm Annette McDougal for the Pop Show Network, here live from Hollywood Boulevard, minutes before the world is about to end. Fear, rage, panic, paranoia, and $20 baptisms offered on Sunset Boulevard are going to do nothing to change our fate. Yes, we're all going to die. We're all going to die in a sh-
the molten core of a dying star. That's hot. From the snow-capped mountaintops of Middle Earth. Orbiting above the Earth in a stolen alien spacecraft. The Graveyard Shift Online Radio Talk Show. Now, strap on your seatbelt. Get ready to kneel, true believers, because here's your host, Emmy. Right, let's get started. By the way, that what you just now heard was an original musical. Com- com- how do you say that? Composure? No. Musical creation by Holden Strianes and Ricky Mosher of East Coast Raid fame. You can find them on SoundCloud. Um, they are just very talented. Two very talented guys. I, you, you've heard me talking about them for several episodes now, actually, ever since we started season season five. And you'll continue to hear me talking about them because they're very talented. By the way, if you're feeling jealous because I'm not talking about your band or you, you shouldn't feel jealous because you can also submit your songs. It's very simple. All you have to do is find us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com. Look for the Graveyard Shift Talk Show. Make sure it's the newest one, the one that has the most um, members. And, you know, of course, it wouldn't help if I was in the if I was in the group. I'm, I'm the one that mentions it. But anyway, send us a member request. I'll add you. And then if you have any kind of website – and by the way, this goes for our current musicians and artists that we have that we are playing on our show – so if you guys have a website that you want your fans to go to to listen to your songs, um, make sure that you share it on the the Facebook page. Also, to listen to the show itself, you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash thegraveyardshift. That's blogtalkradio.com slash thegraveyardshift. We do have a chat room that is up right now. It's kind of just there for our fans to give us a – a heads up on anything that they're working on or just to say a what's up or Emmy, you suck or, you know, whatever. Or, you know, Steven, stop having sex with ghosts. That seems to be a recurring theme this season. I don't know why, but Steven just loves to have sex with ghosts. I don't know why. And uh, that's one way of listening to us. You can also, that's that's if you want to listen to us live, but there are also archived episodes on the Blog Talk Radio server. And not just from this season, but from past seasons too. You can also listen to us on iTunes. If you go to the iTunes uh, podcasts category, you can look for us under the Graveyard Shift. Now, here's the trick rooney guys. On the iTunes podcast category, um, there are more than one podcast called the Graveyard Shift. So make sure that you get the real one, which is us. The others are, you know, fake. Basically, they're not real. <laughs> no, they are. They're just, no, they're not. They're not real. So at any rate... Um, that's that. Those are all ways that you can listen to us. Now I know I've been told that we're also on Stitcher. 
uh, or a, or is it Spreaker? Stephen, which one is it? Spreaker. Okay. So apparently we're on Spreaker.com, but I haven't like I don't know how that works. I, I'm not familiar with the website. I guess it's similar to Blog Talk Radio. So I guess when we're on the air here, they're also um, you know broadcasting us over there. And by the way, when I was mentioning uh, East Coast Raid earlier, I just got a chat from um, Ricky Mosher, one of the musicians in that band and he was uh he chatted with us letting us know that they are working on more wonderful music so hopefully he'll he'll link some of that they they actually already have linked some of their newest stuff on the graveyard ship group page so if you're if you're if you're not on that page you guys are missing out big time because not only do i link you know articles to a whole bunch of really cool paranormal stuff and weird stuff and funny stuff but again a lot of our members also link things that they're working on, stories that – it's not just about me. You know, I, I want to make sure everybody understands that that's listening, all of you shifties out there. Yes, I'm the host and the producer of the show, but if you guys have a story that you want to share with the rest of the of the shift universe, then please do so. You know, just all I ask is make sure it's safe for work, you know, and if it's not, then tag it and then put the link. Don't, don't um, embed it in the uh in the in the group page because some of these people that some of our members that are looking at the uh the, I'm saying this because I had to delete some stuff unfortunately um but some of the members that are on the Facebook group page may have children around you know don't judge that's just the way it goes so if you're sharing stuff on the graveyard shift group page make sure that it's Alaska that's safe for work i mean you know as as it can be and you know, it's I I think it's the great it's a great way to promote your stuff, you know. And it's not it doesn't have to be just music. It can be I mean, what if you're a an actor and you have a a tape that you want to promote? If you have a, a monologue or or if you you know maybe you got a commercial, and you want to promote that, that's perfect. What if you're a writer? You know, like me, I'm a writer. I'm an author. I have two books published. And you guys may not have known that, and I, I it's because I don't mention it that much because you know I don't want to make a big deal about it, but. I have two books that are published, Sword of the Spirit, uh, Sword of the Heart and Everwhere, E V E R W H E R E, both of which you can purchase on amazon.com if you so wish to. Uh and I'm working on the sequel to Sword of the Heart uh called Sword of the Spirit, which by the way, I have a really cool announcement to make vis-a-vis that. I just recently hit my 300-page milestone. I have never written a book that long before. And I'm not finished with it yet. It's, it's, in fact, I think it's probably close to the middle of the story. So I'll keep. I know many of you out there that listen to the show also know me as an author, also. So I will keep you updated on that. But yeah, I'm really proud of myself that I did that, and um, I'll keep everybody updated and and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, so there are a lot of things you can do other than just watch me put articles. Okay. So, at any rate, you know, um, many of you know that during this show, I air a lot of interviews, and that's because I'm lucky enough to get them. Sometimes I'm not, and sometimes, well, sometimes I am. Well, um, right now, we're kind of in the middle of, you know, getting a few ducks in a row, getting a few celebrity authors to be interviewed on our show. We've got uh, Tracy Roberts of Positively Autistic fame. I know, I know you've been hearing me mention her several times. Well, guess what, gang? When you're living far away, and, you know, she lives across the pond, as it were, over in the beautiful old UK, 
it's hard to you know get our times together. So what we might end up doing, and I've already spoken to Tracy about this, she might end up recording herself, um, kind of similar to what Louis Proud did last week, and then she's going to send me that. I mean, I think this is not a, a for sure guarantee. I'm just thinking maybe. I think that might be better. So we're going to try that way. If that doesn't work, then we'll try to you know get her on the show. Um, and air the pre-recorded interview like we usually do, but I I still want to push, you know, talking about her because I think that what she does with her, you know, talk show empire is very important. But um, for those of you that don't know, Positively Autistic is an absolutely gargantuan uh, radio talk show empire in the UK. I mean, they the things that they have done for children in in the autistic and the ASD spectrum. It, it, there's no words for it. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. They're, they are beautiful people. And so is the, um, the other talk show empire called access all aerials. You've probably heard me mention them a couple times. They are another group of, of, you know, ladies and gents that are, are really awesome. And, um, you know, I wish everybody well over there now. Um, at any rate, so yeah, we've got Linda S. Godfrey, who is a, a very, very famous paranormal author. Uh, she's going to be on the show pretty soon. And, um, she, you know, we're just kind of waiting on, on hearing back from her. She's going to be talking about her book that just came out called American Monsters, which you can buy at Amazon.com. I cannot wait to hear more about that. That's going to be really cool, guys. So I really recommend that you bookmark us. If you haven't done so already, blogtalkradio.com slash the graveyard shift again, or on iTunes, and you can look for us there. But that that's going to be awesome. So, and that's, Oh, the other thing that I really am excited about, I mean, I'm excited about every all of these authors, but this one that I just got that you guys are going to love. Have you all – well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You'll see. Yeah, yes, I'm going I'm to keep you in suspense. So let's go ahead and get to the news of the day. So how many of you are football fans? Let me see your hands. Raise your hands. Come on. Let me see them up. See one, two, three, four, five. Oh wow, that's a lot of you. Okay, well let me let me just admit something. I'm not a really big football fan myself. In fact, pretty much the only sport I'll actually watch is wrestling. Like, you know, WWF. I'm sorry, but that's what I know. They're called WWE, but I I'm an, I'm old school. I've always remember, I've always referred to them as WWF, and I probably always will. I still have not seen Royal Rumble yet. I'm a bit busy. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it was really cool. Although I heard there were a lot of um, disappointments. So if anybody has seen it and would like to talk about it, that would be great. You can you can call in and talk about the Royal Rumble as long as you don't give anything away, which probably indicates you will give something away. All I ask is you could say, "Hey, the match between such and such and so and so was really cool." There you go. So <laughs> anyway. Um, so, but more importantly, the big, big game that's happening is the Super Bowl that's going to be tomorrow night between the New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks. I got to tell you something. I know, I know, I know I'm not going to be the only one saying this, but look, I, I am really proud of the Seattle Seahawks. I think they have really just owned the, 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 the NFL. I think they deserve to be in the Super Bowl and, um, I, I don't know. I think they're gonna they're gonna do well now. As far as who I think is gonna win tomorrow, ooh, I don't know. It's hard to say. 
I mean, you know, I'm not a football expert, so I, you know, if I t- if I say it, I'm not sure it's going to come across as very believable, you know. So I I want to say I I now if you're going to ask me, well, who who are you for, Emmy? Who are you for in the game? Well, I I don't know. I'm I don't really have a specific you know team that I'm really for, but uh, you know we've got a lot of fans that are from up north that are close to the Seattle area, so you know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm I'm I am an equal opportunity fan of both teams. How about that? And uh oh well okay, so right now see this is why it, it pays to be on our chat room and on the Facebook page because I will I will mention stuff that you guys post on there. Now see, I just got a chat from Ricky Mosher of East Coast Raid that uh says he is writing a short story. That's going to be around 70 to 100 pages long. And he's got a quarter of it done. Dude, that is awesome. Congratulations. That is a very cool milestone. And Holden Strianez from East Coast Raid says plus, I guess he must have eaten a snake or something. I'm not sure. So <laughs> that he's got uh, the East Coast Raid has a versus album coming out. Oh, my God. That is so flipping awesome. Sorry. Okay. They've got a Versus album coming out with Daniel Edenfield of Throne of Anguish fame. Holy freaking crap, that is going to be amazing. I'm sorry, but I'm getting goosebumps because that's going to be really awesome. I can't wait to see that. You guys should do like, uh, you know, what is that uh, movie? Uh, oh, my God, Deliverance, you know, like a like a, like a, a metal version of, uh, you know, the, the banjo war that i don't know you're probably you probably already thought of that but anyway just a little idea out there so that's awesome good good so keep us updated on that and and i'll let you guys know if i hear more about that i know they're listening so east coast raid throne of anguish let me know about that versus album because i really would love to play some tracks from that especially any tracks that involve you guys going at each other musically speaking now getting back to what i was talking about with the super bowl so Anybody that's been watching the news lately and the ESPN knows that there was this big hullabaloo going on about the the footballs and they're inflating and deflating, whatever. It, it got to the point where it actually became a major story called Deflate Gate. Okay, can I just call a timeout for a second? <laughs> Shut up, Steven. I still have timeouts remaining. What the hell is it with the the media and having to label everything? Why can't you just say it's the situation having to do with the footballs? Why do you have to call it something gate or something, I don't know, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. You know, like water gate, water crest, I don't know, crest, toothpaste, whatever. So for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, and I don't know many people who do don't know what I mean, Basically, there was a scandal that it was involved that involved the footballs that were used in the game between uh, the Patriots and the uh, I believe it was the Packers, if I'm not mistaken. It was based, no, excuse me, no, I'm sorry, it was the, the Patriots and the Colts, and it was during the AFC Championship game. And what happened was Indiana, Indianapolis Colts linebacker DeQuell Jackson whose interception of Brady during that game reportedly led to the inquiry. And, I mean, he said he didn't notice anything wrong with the football. So, now, 
the Colts had raised concerns about this as far back as this past November that about the underinflated balls supplied by the Patriots following its regular season November 16th game reported by ESPN. Now, during that game, Colts safety Mike Adams twice intercepted Brady and gave the balls to the Colts equipment manager to save. Both times there were concerns about the balls. I'm sorry, just about this balls thing is, you know, feeling underinflated. <laughs> Jesus, oh my God. The source is... <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say this seriously. There's no way. The sources also said that the Colts raised concerns to the league, which was aware of the issue going into Sunday's game. So they knew about this. They had already had concerns about this going into the game that New England won 45-7. to Now, as you can probably guess, you know, people were talking about this, and especially members of the Patriots. And, you know, so Tom Brady actually did a news conference. A few like back in the 22nd of this month, and he was quoted as saying that he did not alter the ball in any way, and he was quoted as saying, "I have no knowledge of anything. I was as surprised as anybody when I heard Monday morning that this happened." Quote: "I choose the balls I want to use for the game. That's what I expect to go out on the playing field with." Now, here's the thing about this. Here, you might be thinking, well, "What's the big deal?" Well, see, here's the thing: footballs which are weighed before the game, must be inflated to no less than 12.5 pounds per square inch. A deflated ball could be easier to grip in bad weather, such as in Sunday's rain at Gillette Stadium. Now, oh God, this is so, so asinine. Now, here's here's my take on this. And actually, you know, before I, before I say that, another development came out about this because um, the NFL commissioner whose name is Roger Goodell. Um, and my God, every time this guy um, comes out, you know, it's like, oh my God, shut up. <laughs> he came out and he said that they were conducting, well, he, they've been doing this, but, you know, he further emphasized they were conducting a thorough and objective investigation. Bullshit! Bullshit! Sorry. So, um he was quoted as saying they take seriously anything that potentially impacts the integrity of the game. And he won. He said, quote, I want to emphasize, we have made no judgment on these points and we will not compromise the investigation by engaging in speculation. Now he confirmed that footballs were tested at halftime of the AFC championship game. Once the investigation is complete, the results will be shared publicly. According to Goodell, Goodell was also asked about Seattle Seahawks running back Marshawn Lynch's comments at media day on Tuesday, during which the player repeatedly repeatedly said, I am just here so I won't get fined. That's awesome. Marshawn understands the importance of the Super Bowl, Goodell said. I've been very clear that when you're in the NFL, you have an obligation to the fans. It is part of your job. And there are things we all have to do in our jobs that we may not necessarily want to do, he added. Yeah, like I'm sure, like doing the press conference. It may not be at the top of his list, he's quoted, Everyone else is cooperating and doing their part. It is our obligation, he said. Goodell. Goodell said, I said that, Stephen. Shut up. It comes with the territory. It comes with the privilege of playing. You know, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. And I'm sure you guys agree with me on this. I'm thinking that this whole thing is going to blow over. Nothing's going to come of it. And we're probably not even going to hear anything until after the Super Bowl and probably close to the draft pick. And when they do say something, it's going to be like, oh, it was just discovered that 
they were deflated to a point that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, important enough to affect the decision of the game or something to that effect. Because think about it. If they come out, let's, let's say tomorrow the Super Bowl happens and whatever, the, the Seahawks win, okay? It really it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that just for saying it. Let's say the Seahawks win tomorrow. And let's say Goodell comes out and says, oh, you know, we were right. The or you know whatever the 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 footballs were deflated and to a really bad degree. Okay, then what are they going to do? What, what are they going to do? Find somebody? What's the worst they can have? It's not like they can arrest anyone. Or what are they going to do? Take away the win? Then what? Are they going to have another Super Bowl in the same year? I mean, the point is there really isn't much they can do other than find somebody. You're not going to get arrested for deflating a flipping football. So, yeah. It's really not that big of a deal. I mean, I, I get it. I know the Super Bowl's tomorrow. I know everybody wants to make a big deal out of it. Okay, that's fine. You have the, it's your prerogative to do so. But me personally, I don't think it's going to really make that much of a difference. In fact, I yes, I've been hearing the media talk about it in the in the, you know, the local shows and everything. But I'm I'm guaranteeing you, after tomorrow, it's going to blow over. We're really not going to hear much about it. I'm going to quote a conservative colleague of mine say, "Don't doubt me." So, moving on to paranormal news, right? Because that's what we're here for. How many of you like mummies? I know I do. I love my mummy. <laughs> Get it? Because I, I said, shut up, Stephen. Well, as if the mummies that we already have weren't enough, more were found in Peru. Now, for those of you that remember a few episodes ago, I was talking to author Frank Joseph about this exact same subject. We were talking about how, how, it, how interesting it is that many ancient civilizations in the New World had striking similarities to Egypt and many, ancient, and many other ancient civilizations in, this, you know, in the other side of the Eastern Hemisphere. Well, this is just yet more evidence that there's some kind of connection going on because in Peru... 150 mummies of ancient, get this, unknown civilization was discovered in the Atacama Desert. Okay? Okay. I know. I've got your interest, right? So uh, here's what happens. This is, this is actual news. It was in the UK newspaper. I'm going to link it to our Twitter feed right now. Let me see if I can go ahead and, and do that for you guys before I go ahead and read this. A team of archaeologists from universities in Poland, Peru, and Colombia. By the way, if you hear anything in Japanese in the background, that's my wife watching Naruto because she's so awesome and she loves Naruto. There we go. Okay. Getting back to... Oh, I, I just love my computer. Anyway, a team of archaeologists from universities in Poland, Peru, and Colombia have discovered 150 mummies in the Atacama Desert belonging to an unknown culture that predate the Tiwanaku and Inca civilization for almost 500 years. I want you to really hear that last part. It predates the Tiwanaku and Inca civilization by 500 years. The bodies were mummified naturally by being buried directly in the sand with no stone structures, wrapped in cotton veils, reed mats, or fishing nets, and radiocarbon dating shows that the oldest mummies came from 4th century A.D., while the youngest mummies came from 7th century A.D. 
Now, I just tweeted this article on our Twitter feed, which, by the way, it's, it's hashtag Emmy Shift Show. And you can see pictures of the mummies for yourself. They're pretty well res- – well, some of them are really well preserved. The others are, are, are pretty degraded, but for the most part, they're pretty well preserved. The Tiwanaku civilization is believed to have existed between 500 and 1000 AD, covering much of what is Peru and Chile today. Now, under a project called Tambo, the team have been excavating in the Tambo River Delta in the northern region of the Atacama Desert since 2008. And the first mummies were found in 2012, but it took until March 2014 for the team to make major discoveries. Okay? So that's pretty interesting. And you could see... A lot of the, there's some artifacts that they found, some um, you know, like a pot that's beautifully painted. I mean, if you if you're looking at this picture like I am, there's a picture of some skulls. Um, some of them not not the skulls are not always all intact, but there's like some cups and and this pot has this uh like the colors that are you know, from being in the ground, it's pretty vibrant, especially how old it is. Now. They also found weapons like bows and quivers with arrows tipped with obsidian heads, and that was pretty common in that particular zone. Maces with stone or copper finials. There were also richly decorated weaving tools, jewelry made from tumbaga, which is a gold and copper alloy, copper, reed with withes attached to the ears of the dead, and beautiful intact pottery. So if you want to learn more, and you can see a lot of these really nicely detailed pictures, please go to our um, Twitter feed at hashtag Emmy Shift Show. So I think, I think, and tell me if you guys think I'm crazy about this, but I think this unknown civilization, what if it's the Egyptians? Now think about this for a second. Remember, Frank and I were talking about the possibility of the Egyptians traveling to Central America or South America and trading with the Incans and such. Okay, well, now, what if there were Egyptians that had come here before then and had made like a little colony here trying to establish a trading relationship, right? 500 whatever years beforehand. Well, there you go. That would that would explain it. Again, they don't know the civilization. It's unknown. So who knows? And, and you know we could be wrong. Maybe it's an, maybe maybe the civilization is just an offshoot of the Incans. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, an offshoot of the Mayans. Who knows? But it doesn't hurt to speculate because we don't know. Moving on to more paranormal news. Now I wanted I've been wanting to um, you know talk about this particular story for a while now, and unfortunately I haven't been able to. Um, I know many of you are very familiar with the show Coast to Coast AM, which is a very, very popular, if not the most popular paranormal podcast in the world. Well, you know, aside from the graveyard shift, of course. I mean, nothing trumps us. No, I'm kidding, guys, obviously. Well, I'm sad to report this, but apparently paranormal radio host Art Bell has mysteriously disappeared from Sirius XM. Now, this is as of a couple of years ago, and so far I have not heard any updates to this. So if anybody knows if Art Bell has returned, and I'm not talking about somewhere in time. I'm talking about that he's actually been on the air live. Because I've been listening to Coast to Coast AM, and I have not heard him on the air yet. So apparently he hasn't returned yet. Now, what happens is 
he was supposed to come back to the air on Sirius FX, Sirius XM live streaming. And apparently in July, they announced, in July of 2013, they announced that he would launch a new live nightly call-in show called Art Bell's Dark Matter in, in that September. But since the premiere of September 16th, there's been a lot of problems with streaming his show. And apparently SiriusXM has decided not to work things out for him. And he posted that he says, you know, sometimes when you're all in, you win, sometimes lose. So unfortunately, Dark Matter will no longer air. Now, you know, SiriusXM didn't have any comment about this. And apparently it's not going to happen. So that's really a shame. So I guess we won't be seeing Art Bell on the air live anytime soon. I'm just hoping everything's okay. I'm hoping that, you know, that he's not gone for good because I don't know about you, but one of the things that got me interested in radio, um, and I've been doing radio for a very, very long time, is Art Bell. I mean, he was just a big inspiration for me. So... Anyway, we're going to take a, a, a short break, and when we get back, we're going to get into the subject of UFOs. Uh, if I have time later tonight, which I might, I'll play one of our previous interviews. So just in case if you guys missed it, you can catch it. I don't know which one yet. If you have a suggestion on which interview you want me to play, please do so. I've got several. I've got – and yes, don't worry. I'm going, to pill, I'm going to play the Bill Cosby interview. Apparently, that's a very popular one. <laughs> I'm glad you guys like it. I'm going to make more. I promise I'll make more. So if you guys want to, I have the interview between myself and Jim Steinmeier, the author of Who Was Dracula. I have the Louis Proud, which that's not really an interview. That's just him talking about his book, Strange Dimensions. I actually still have my interview with myself and Micah Hanks about giants of ancient America. So those are all the interviews that I have. And if you guys want to, I can play one of those for you. So if you're interested, give me a call, area code 347-237-5187, or you can get on our chat room and put your suggestion up, and I will consider it. And I may not necessarily do it, but who knows? Maybe I will. At any rate, that's what I'll do. So I'm going to go ahead and go on break now. When we get back, more articles, more stories, and more of me. So hang in there, guys. This is Emmy on the Graveyard Shift online radio talk show. And I am punching in. Put your warm speed on hold, Graveyard Shift fan. Our illustrious host, Emmy. Why the hell does he always say that word, illustrious? We'll be right back after this break with more shifty, yeah, like shitty awesomeness. I can't believe this guy. Who the hell does he think he is? Um, oh, okay. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be right back.
above the earth in a stolen alien spacecraft. The Graveyard Shift Online Radio Talk Show. Now, strap on your seatbelt, get ready to kneel, true believers, because here's your host, Emmy. Mr. Cosby, thank you so much for coming on to our show. I'm so glad we could get this time to talk, just you and me, and now we can finally clear up all this mess. So uh, just tell me, how do you feel? But boy, am I glad to be back here. I'm no good on my own. I was given two old days, and I just went crazy. Okay, uh, Mr. Cosby, please, let, you know, let's, come on, let's get serious here. Let's just talk about these allegations, shall we? I don't know where you get these people from. Sometimes I think it's drugs. Well, they've been popping up all over, sir. I mean, you you know, what did you think would happen when you did what you did? Now your body doesn't want it, so it starts to kick it out whether you want to hold it or not, so you begin to... Sir, sir, that, that, sir, that was not appropriate at all. You're just, you're putting yourself further and further in the hole with that one, okay? Let's just stay on task, shall we? What exactly... Were you thinking back then? I mean, you know, you were with these women. What was going through your mind? I mean, you were a happily married man. Now you feel it coming. All right, I'm ready. Holding on, holding on. Going for a ride, yes. Bring it out, yes. Here it comes on. And your muscles lock No, Mr. Cosby, no, no, that's... What, What are you doing? Look, look. No, no. Can can we please stop that? Let's get serious, please. I didn't come here to tell you that. Okay, well then, that's better. I uh, wanted to discuss some very serious matters. Now we're getting somewhere. Go on. Dentists. Dentists. What? Dent? What? No, no. Look, I arranged this interview so you can talk to us about what you were really up to back then in the late sixties. Now, come on. Oh. God, no, sir, control yourself. Uh, look, just tell me at least that you use protection. Come automatically, the muscles tighten and push. <sighs> I'll just I'll pretend I didn't hear that. So I guess we can just forget the question of whether or not you're guilty. What have you got to say for yourself? Oh, God, stop it. Dear God, that's disgusting. Look, can, what, look what, would you just, what would you say to these people if you saw them today? For yourself. Oh, my God, this interview has gone to poop. God. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. So anyways, I'm standing there waiting to use the paper. And this guy who's on the phone turns around and tips his hat like this. And who do you think that guy was? Emilio! Testing Museum of Las Vegas has opened Area 51 Myth or Reality well actually they opened it two years ago 
and it became an instant hit. Now, it wasn't the only place that had a knowledge of Area 51. It gave a venue to former employees of America's top secret base to present their involvement in the declassified projects. Well, guess what? Today, the museum is expanding. Area 51 Myth or Reality is reopening its doors today to give the public more of the truth about one of the most secretive military installations. After all, you know, this place, Area 51, is the same place that it spawned America's stealth fighter technology as well as decades of speculation about UFOs and aliens. The museum executive director and CEO Alan Palmer was recently quoted as saying, it's fair to say that an awful lot of people were very skeptical of us presenting anything that had to do with UFOs and space travel and aliens. But I felt compelled to at least address that part of the story in this Area 51 exhibit, so that became a big part of it. Now, Palmer is a former distinguished Air Force and Navy jet fighter pilot, and he went on to tell the media what to expect from this newly tweaked exhibit. He was quoted as saying, we've added some really interesting elements to the exhibit that weren't there before. Extra artifacts, a different look and feel to make more of a definition between myth and reality. Um, we wanted to create the experience for the visitor of going through Area 51, first of all, just knowing what it is and getting a little bit of in-character view as you walk in, a briefing by the guards, admonishing you not to tell anybody about what's going on and keeping it to yourself. Now, the National Atomic Testing Museum, which is one of a handful of national museums, is the most logical place to house this exhibit, and it's located about 100 miles north of Las Vegas. So if you want to learn more, I'm going to go ahead and link this to our Twitter feed. Again, that's an M, uh, hashtag Emmy Shift Show, and you can learn more about it. I love it. I, wouldn't you guys love to go somewhere to this? Can you imagine that, going to this one museum? You step in the doors, and here are these guards that are telling you, hey, listen, you can't tell anybody about it. That would be awesome. I'd be like, dude, I'm telling whoever the hell I want, shut up, get out of my way. <laughs> I would love to go there. But if any of you do happen to go there, please do share pictures of with it with us on our Facebook page, or you can share it on our Twitter feed, whichever. Now, speaking of places you're not invited, I know, watch how I segue into this. Gasparilla. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what the hell I'm talking about, right now in good old Tampa, Florida, we are knee-deep, or should I say barrel-boot-deep, in the Gasparilla Pirate Invasion, which is an annual event that occurs in Tampa, Florida, and it's in our in its 100th anniversary. And basically, what it is is a pirate-themed party where we celebrate a mock invasion that never happened. I'm not kidding. This it, Gasparilla is to celebrate Jose Gaspar, who was a pirate. Except he wasn't. He never existed. Well, I shouldn't say that. There there are some people who say he did and some people who say he didn't. They're really, you know, it depends on who you talk to. But it's kind of like a little local myth, and it's really cool. Well, we took the kids to the children's parade, which, by the way, is the fourth largest parade of any kind in the country. And, um, you know, you could dress up as pirates, and they have floats, and you know, you have local groups who have their own pirate crews, and what's really neat about this is they these pirate crews have causes that they raise funds for. And one particular pirate crew, and I promised them that I would discuss them, and let me make sure I got their name right. They are the Notorious Crew of the Peg Leg Pirate, 
and they are awesome. You can you can find out more about them at peglegpirate.org. And they what they do is to assist amputees, their families, along with organizations that work with amputees. And I, I mean, I just thought that was a really neat cause. And they, you know, they have events that they that they sponsor throughout the year, not just during Gasparilla, throughout the year. And obviously, they also raise money for the float to be in the parade, um, which I'm sure they've already, you know, paid for in full. But you know, you still need to, you know, pay a fee to be in the parade. But you know, you definitely want to do that if you're one of these crews because you know you want people to know about your cause. And that's just one cause. There's a lot of other causes. There's you know, there's uh, you know, military veterans. There's uh, I know there's one out there that's for autism, and there's another one for um, uh, the Lou Gehrig's disease and things like that. So I mean, the, all of these pirate crews have a really, really important purpose. It's not just for fun. I mean, it is, but it's also for something important. So at any rate, if you want to learn more about it, it's it's the big event already happened, which um, today. At 11:30 a.m., with the world's only fully rigged pirate ship, the Jose Gasparilla, appeared at the south end of Hillsborough Bay, and there was a whole bunch of other boats that people, you know, got to use, and they basically accompanied it, quote unquote, defending the city, and it went all the way to um, Set On Channel, which is the channel between Davis Island and Harbor Island. And they invaded the city. And I mean, they actually had cannon fire. I'm not kidding. They actually, not for real, not real cannons, you know, sound, you know, cannons on the ship that, you know, went boom, boom, you know. And um, anyway, it was, uh, it's really amazing if you've never seen it. You, you, I'm sure you can find on YouTube any, a video of the event of any of, any of the uh, years. So it docks at the Tampa Convention Center, which, by the way, that's where the Tampa Comic Con goes to, uh, is held. And the mayor, he gets, he 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 waits there, and then he's supposed to surrender the key to the city into the hands of the captain of the Mystic Crew of Gasparilla. So then, after that, the crew, you know, celebrate their victory in the parade of the pirates down Bayshore Boulevard, and the event is free to the public. Anyway, you can find out more. At GasparillaPirateFest.com, obviously the parade already happened. It was from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. I can guarantee you right now, somewhere in Tampa, there's a party going on about this event. Um, so, yeah, you can go GasparillaPirateFest.com. I know many of you have asked me to talk about it, and there you go. I just talked about it. I love it. It's one of my favorite things about being a Tampanian. Um, I mean, where else can you – Where? What, what other city do you know of that – celebrates a pirate invasion and that the mayor actually hands over quote unquote control of the city to these I mean it's great I love it so at any rate that's that's that particular event and uh I I'm really excited about it so getting back from pirates back to aliens because we're still talking about invaders right alien invaders get it well apparently there's this new finding about the Roswell crash apparently they think it was an invasion of but not alien invasion. They think it was Nazis. I'm not – now, believe it or not, this is not a new idea. I'm not kidding. Uh, uh, no, I'm not kidding. There is a group of people. They are a German film, of course. You know, they're trying to make – you know, what, who else would it be? Uh, openminds.tv is actually the name of the website. 
and they purport to say that top-secret Nazi technology called The Bell, and you can actually learn more about it. Uh, there's, there was a 2008 Discovery Channel documentary talking about this particular craft. That was, they say that is what crashed in the Roswell Desert. Well, okay, so let, let's talk about this for a second. Now, I did speak to an author, Kevin D. Randall, about uh, Roswell in great detail in one of our past interviews. So if you want to learn more about that particular crash and what you know the popular conception is, you can, you can listen to the interview now. But suffice to say, no one really knows for sure what happened. Like, there isn't a confirmed, yes, this definitely happened. But this is what we do know. Something did come out of the sky in July 1947, and it did crash on a ranch near Roswell. But what the something is, we don't know. And it's been, every, it's been speculated to be everything from extraterrestrial spacecraft to weather balloon to military high-altitude device. I mean, it's been everything and every, anything and everything. Well, now the film, supposedly called UFOs in the Third Reich, is promoting another theory, which was a 10-foot-wide, 12-foot-high, anti-gravity, bell-shaped craft combining rocket and helicopter technology created by Nazi Germany that fell into the hands of the U.S. in 1943, who further developed the project. Now, an alleged test of the bell resulted in its crash, which became the event that started the Roswell UFO saga. And now, story, now, now, this isn't anything new because stories about the Nazi bell have cropped up in the UFO literature for many years. And again, Discovery Channel even did a documentary about it called the Nazi UFO Conspiracy. You can, I, I believe, you can see it on, on YouTube before they take it down. So, you know, and, and you know, they talk about it and and what they think it could be and all that, all that good stuff. So, here's what I'm going to do. Once again, I am going to share this with you guys on our Twitter feed, because I know some of you have already been asking me a private message, well, where is this article? Where can I see it? So now I'm going to just share it with you. There you go. Ah, boy, I tell you. Well, what do you mean? Well, I tell you what, you know, something else that really important happened. It wasn't an invader. It was a peaceful visitor. He came to our planet. He risked his life to save us, of course, I'm talking about E.T., the extraterrestrial. <laughs> and he he's showing up, not on toast, but on tree stumps. I kid you not. I kid you not. A hotel owner has found a tree stump that looks like E.T. You, you think I'm joking. I am going to tweet this right now. Somebody thinks I'm joking. Hold on. Here I go. Before I even read this article, I'm going to tweet it. There we go. I just shared it. There. That's what you get for thinking I'm joking. Billy Harley went to cut up some wood. He did not know what he would have seen. Okay? Now, he owns the Uig Hotel on Scotland's Isle of Skye. He was chopping some logs for the fireplace when he noticed one of the stumps looked amazingly like E.T. from the Steven Spielberg classic 1982 film, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Quote, I put, yes, this is an actual story, Stephen, I know. I put the chainsaw through a trunk, and there was E.T. staring back at me. I phoned home. Oh, I love that part. And my wife brought a camera out to take some pictures. The stump has now attracted international attention because, of course, it has for the hotel. And Harley is hoping to capitalize on the exposure. Duh. Dude, if I was this guy, I would charge to see it. 
I'd be like, come and see the E.T. stump. I just shared this article on our um, Twitter feed. You can see it for yourself. It really does look like E.T. Even if you didn't know, yeah, if you've seen the movie, you're looking at this thing. It really looks like it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Between you and me, I think the guy drew it on there or carved it, whatever. It can be done. And if he didn't, well, that's pretty amazing. So there you go. E.T. on a stump, not on toast. <laughs> All right. So that's that. <laughs> oh, my God. We still have quite a bit of time left on the show. I usually get to our convention scene for all of uh, our fans out there that want to know what comic book conventions are going on. But before I do that, I will go ahead and play an interview. And since nobody has even said anything about what interview, I'm going to just play whichever one I feel like. And for those of you that did not get to hear the interview between my – well, actually, it wasn't really an interview. It was um, Louis Proud talking about his book strange dimensions i'm going to go ahead and play that again because i I think it was really cool we got we did have a lot of positive feedback from it so here is louis proud talking about his book strange dimensions and when that is done i'll be back talking to you about um the convention scene if there's time so here we go enjoy My name is Louis Proud, and I'm recording this to tell you about my latest book, which is called Strange Electromagnetic Dimensions, The Science of the Unexplainable. It's my third book. It's published by New Page, and it was released in November 2014. I'm a writer and researcher on Fortean, or paranormal phenomena. I currently live in Darwin, Australia, and over the years I've explored a, a lot of different topics in the paranormal field, including sleep paralysis, psi, which includes such things as psychokinesis and telepathy, as well as poltergeists, UFOs, and just about everything else. And I've always believed that the best way to study the paranormal is from a scientific perspective. And by that I mean a fun and open-minded scientific perspective, not a narrow-minded, mechanistic scientific perspective. So that's the approach I try to employ with my research and writing on these topics. But back to the focus of this discussion, my latest book. Now, as the title suggests, the theme of the book is electromagnetism. And the significance of the title relates to the fact that pretty much every aspect of the paranormal, I've discovered, has an electromagnetic dimension to it. And besides examining a number of paranormal topics in relation to electromagnetism, I also look at a host of rather less spectacular topics. And I begin with the topic of magnetoception. What is magnetoception? Well, it's the ability to detect and navigate via the Earth's magnetic field. And it's an ability that's been observed in a huge number of life forms on Earth, including fruit flies, honeybees, homing pigeons, cows, sharks, sea turtles, and even bacteria. So we know that this ability exists in very simple life forms and very complex life forms. But what about human beings? Could we in fact be making use, without necessarily being conscious of it, of a magnetic sixth sense? 
No doubt an ability like this would have been of great benefit to our hunter-gatherer ancestors. If they did possess this ability, what about modern humans? Does it still exist in humans, even though we're not necessarily using it as much or we don't have a reason to use it? Well, amazingly, there is some evidence that modern humans possess this ability. There's evidence, for example, that the human brain and the human ethmoid bone contains traces of the mag magnetic mineral magnetite. So could there be magnetite-loaded souls in the human body which are designed to respond to external sources of electromagnetism, including the Earth's magnetic field? What about the research of Dr. Robin Baker? Dr. Robin Baker was a biologist at Manchester University. Uh, he's still around, but he's not active in this area anymore. But he did a series of ex experiments throughout the 1970s whereby he placed blindfolded children on buses and he drove them around the countryside, took them on long, winding trips throughout the countryside in order to basically disorient them. And then with the blindfold still on, he took them off the bus and got them to point in the direction of home. He discovered that in many cases the children could point in the direction of home despite still being blindfolded. He obtained some very impressive results, a lot of amazing evidence that humans do possess this ability. And although few scientists have bothered to try and reproduce Baker's experiments, lately there's been a lot of focus by scientists on this light-sensitive protein called cryptochrome. And we know that cryptochrome controls circadian rhythms in plants and animals. We also know that it plays a role in magnetoception in fruit flies and many other living things. And it turns out that the human retina is packed with cryptochrome. It also turns out, because an experiment has proven this, that human cryptochrome functions as a magnetic sensor in fruit flies that have been genetically engineered to lack their own version of cryptochrome. But now we come to the second topic explored in the book, which is geomagnetic disturbances. And do they cause depression and other health problems in humans? And in order to properly examine this question, it's important to realize that we live in a sea of electromagnetic energy. And this is made up of both natural sources, like the Earth's magnetic field, and Schumann resonant signals, as well as artificial so sources, for example, from cell phones, electrical appliances, power lines, and so on. And by far the most important natural source of electromagnetism is the Earth's magnetic field. Although it's something we take little notice of, the Earth's magnetic field is extremely unstable. It's always Changing. And this is thanks in part to the activity of the sun and various other cosmic factors, including lunar factors, which is something I deal with in my book, The Secret Influence of the Moon. But anyway, moving on, there are, for example, solar storms, which can cause big disturbances in the Earth's magnetic field, otherwise known as the geomagnetic field. And every living creature on Earth, including us, is tuned to the Earth's magnetic field. And so whenever there's a change, in the magnetic field, there is also a change within the human body. And many of these changes are hormonal in nature. Studies have shown, for example, that whenever there's a high amount of geomagnetic activity, it can cause the pineal gland, the tiny pine cone-shaped gland in the middle of the brain, just behind the eyes, to produce less melatonin than normal. And melatonin, of course, is what regulates the sleep-wake cycle. At night, when we turn off the light, the pineal gland increases its production of melatonin, and this makes us feel sleepy. In the morning, when our eyes sense light, the pineal gland decreases its production of melatonin, and therefore we feel more awake. So not only is the pineal gland sensitive to light, it's also sensitive to external electromagnetic fields. 
either this is a direct sensitivity or an indirect sensitivity. But that's something I look at in the book. I'm not going to deal with that now. What matters is the fact that geomagnetic factors, and of course artificial electromagnetic fields, can suppress melatonin production and thereby disrupt the sleep-wake cycle. And having a disrupted sleep-wake cycle is of course what causes jet lag. Shift workers who have very disrupted sleep-wake cycles generally have much poorer health than people who don't do shift work. There is, for example, a high incidence of cancer among shift workers. And it's also important to recognize that melatonin acts as a free radical scavenger, meaning it clears up all those free radicals that cause harm to the cells of the body, consequently lowering our risk of getting cancer. There's also a link between depression and having a disrupted sleep-wake cycle. In fact, a number of studies have shown a very strong correlation between high geomagnetic activity and an increase in the suicide rate. So to return to the question, there is very good evidence that geomagnetic disturbances can cause depression and other health problems in humans. The question we come to now is whether artificial electromagnetic fields are having a negative impact on our health and well-being. We, of course, are surrounded by artificial electromagnetic fields. It's one of the realities of living in the modern world, with all its technology and gadgetry. And as the world becomes more technologically sophisticated, no doubt such exposure will increase, so we can't escape it. Now, as the question of adverse health effects from artificial electromagnetic fields is a very big question, a question I deal with at length in my book, I won't attempt to answer it in full here. Let me instead present a few points. Earlier I stated that both geomagnetic disturbances and artificial electromagnetic fields can suppress production of the hormone melatonin and consequently disrupt the sleep-wake cycle. So that's certainly one mechanism whereby artificial electromagnetic fields can cause harm to the body. But could there be other mechanisms involved? Well, yes, there are. And there's one particular mechanism I wish to discuss here. Heaps of studies have shown that artificial electromagnetic fields can induce a stress response in the body, specifically a state of chronic stress, which involves long-term activation of the fight-or-flight response. When we face a perceived danger, for example, a vicious dog, the fight-or-flight response is activated by the autonomic nervous system, or ANS. The ANS is made up of two components, the sympathetic nervous system, or SNS, and the parasympathetic nervous system, or PSNS. The SNS activates the physiological changes that occur during the fight-or-flight response, whereas the PSNS dampens those responses. The SNS, for example, tells the adrenal glands to pump large quantities of adrenaline and noradrenaline into the bloodstream. The adrenal glands also secrete the steroid hormone cortisol. Normally, of course, the body returns to a state of normality once the perceived threat has passed. And so all those stress hormones disappear from the body. In other words, the fight-or-flight response is deactivated. However, with those people who suffer from chronic stress, the fight-or-flight response gets activated so often, it's more or less continuously switched on. And this is exactly what studies have found with animals that have been exposed for long periods of time to artificial electromagnetic fields. That is, a state of chronic stress or long-term activation of the fight-or-flight response. This means high levels of stress hormones in the bloodstream. It also means such things as a higher incidence of cancer, immune system dysfunction, and all the other health problems that result from being in a state of chronic stress, including insomnia, learning and memory difficulties, fatigue, and weakness. We know that stress has an incredibly damaging effect on the body, especially if it's prolonged. So, to sum up, the adverse health effects that result from exposure to artificial electromagnetic fields are more or less identical to the symptoms of chronic stress. 
As I said, this is something I deal with at length in my book, so it's time we looked at the next topic, lightning. What a fascinating natural phenomenon. I don't think there's a single person listening to this who isn't amazed and maybe a little frightened by lightning. Now, I currently live in Darwin, Australia, which is famous for its spectacular displays of lightning, and it's located in the northern part of Australia, and it's Australia's lightning capital with around 80 thunderstorm days per year. And in America, the state was the highest amount of lightning activity as Florida, with an average of 75 to 105 thunderstorm days per year. So clearly those places on Earth with the highest amount of lightning activity can be found in the tropics. Lightning serves a number of important functions in nature. It contributes towards nitrogen fixation, and it also helps maintain the appropriate electrical balance in the atmosphere, being an important part of what's called the global electric circuit. Earlier I mentioned Schumann resonance, a phenomenon caused by global lightning activity, whereby extremely low frequency waves, or ELF waves, resonate in the Earth ionosphere cavity. These Schumann resonance signals are an important form of natural electromagnetic energy, and as I said, they exist in the extremely low frequency range. And it just so happens that much of the activity in the body, particularly human brainwave activity, operates in the extremely low frequency range. For example, the fundamental frequency of the Earth ionosphere cavity is 10.6 hertz, or cycles per second, while the mean alpha frequency is 10 hertz, and alpha waves, of course, are associated with a relaxed state of mind. So again, we're tuned to the electromagnetic activity of the Earth. But back to lightning. It's rare, but people do get struck by lightning, and the effects of lightning on the human body is something I explore at great length in the book. Now, as you'd expect, lightning and electric shock, the two being very similar, primarily affect the nervous system of the body, the body's electrical wiring. And in my book, I look at numerous cases of people who've been struck by lightning. In particular, I focus on the stranger aspects of lightning and electric shock injury. And as well as such effects as memory loss, sexual dysfunction, irritability, personality changes, and so on, these problems stemming from damage to the nervous system, there are also some really peculiar effects, some paranormal effects, if you will. For example, a lot of lightning strike survivors claim that since being struck, they've exerted an odd effect on electrical gadgets of all kinds. For example, that they can't wear a wristwatch without it malfunctioning. And even that street lamps blink out when they approach them, which is a phenomenon called street lamp interference. And that's something I'll talk about later. Also, some survivors claim that their bodies generate an unusually large amount of static electricity, so that whenever they touch another person, that person receives an electric shock. All of these peculiar effects or symptoms are part of a condition called high-voltage syndrome. And again, I'll talk about that later. So those who've been struck by lightning can develop some peculiar abilities, even alleged psychic abilities. In fact, I was amazed to discover during the course of my research that many people who claim to be psychic either suffered at a young age a severe electric shock or were struck by lightning at a young age. But there are more mysteries in connection with lightning. How come some people get struck by lightning again and again? How do we explain these cases of human lightning rods like the Shenandoah National Park Ranger Roy Cleveland Sullivan? who was apparently struck by lightning an incredible seven times throughout his life, yet without being seriously harmed. As well as resulting in high-voltage syndrome, or HVS, being struck by lightning can also result in electromagnetic hypersensitivity, and that's the topic we come to now. 
Electromagnetic hypersensitivity or EHS is a condition whereby one feels extremely ill when exposed to practically any form of artificial electromagnetic radiation, whether it be from a cell phone, an electric fan, a computer, etc. Interestingly, it didn't really come into existence until around the 1980s, so it's very much a recent condition, and the incidence of this condition is rapidly increasing among the population. People with this condition are sometimes forced to live in a rural environment, to not use any electrical devices or even drive a car, and to take other extreme measures in order to try and limit their exposure to artificial electromagnetic fields. So for them it's very debilitating and very serious, and it has a huge impact on their lives. Of course, it all sounds a little extreme, doesn't it? And the question naturally arises as to whether EHS is a genuine condition or whether it's merely psychosomatic. And I'll be honest, I was extremely skeptical of EHS until I started researching the matter and realised that there is some scientific research to back up the claims of EHS sufferers. I should point out too that plenty of physicians around the world do take EHS seriously and have actually gained some success in treating those with the condition. What they've discovered is that EHS seems to be an allergic reaction and therefore involves a response on the part of the immune system in a similar manner to other allergic reactions. The view of EHS as a genuine allergic reaction is backed up by the research of such people as the Swedish dermatologist Olli Johansson, where EHS is recognised as a functional impairment, as well as Dr. Rena Bray, Dominique Belpom and many others. So while it's easy to be sceptical of the claims of EHS sufferers and to think it's all in their heads, there is actually a firm body of research which suggests that EHS is a genuine rather than psychosomatic condition. But rather than look at that evidence here, it's time we examine the next question. What is high voltage syndrome? I touched on high voltage syndrome or HVS earlier when I talked about some of the strange effects claimed by those who have been struck by lightning or have experienced severe electric shock, usually at a young age. People who suffer from HVS are also known as electric people. The symptoms or effects of HVS include problems with bodily static electricity. That is, for some reason their bodies generate large amounts of static electricity, even when they're properly grounded, for example, while immersed in a bathtub full of water. Another claim is that they exert an unusual influence on electrical devices and gadgets of all kinds, such as vacuum cleaners, irons, electric kettles, radios, computers, and so on. Oddly, they don't even need to touch these devices for the devices to suddenly malfunction for no apparent reason. They claim that light bulbs suddenly pop when they walk past them, that vacuum cleaners explode when they're using them, that computers crash all the time when they're around, and that sometimes compasses start spinning when they put their hand nearby. Since beginning my research on this topic, I've received numerous emails from credible people all over the world claiming that they exert an odd influence on electrical devices. There's no doubt whatsoever that some of these claims are either due to coincidence or various mundane causes. There's little doubt, for example, that if you live in a dry environment and frequently walk across carpeted surfaces, your body is going to build up a lot of static electricity causing numerous static shocks. The odd thing about electric people, however, is that in many cases the static electricity seems to be internally generated. We know that the human body can pick up static electricity, but there's no easy way to explain how the body might be able to generate its own static electricity. I've come to the conclusion that while some of the effects of HVS can be explained in terms of electrostatics, not all of them can. That perhaps even psychokinesis or PK is responsible in some instances. 
Poltergeist disturbances can, in some cases, involve genuine instances of PK, seemingly caused by the subconscious mind, and in my book I explore the close connection between poltergeistry and high-voltage syndrome. Interestingly, there is also a connection between high-voltage syndrome and electromagnetic hypersensitivity. For instance, both conditions appear to stem from a single incident of exposure to electromagnetism. In the case of HVS, it's typically lightning strike or electric shock that brings the condition into being. In the case of EHS, it's heavy exposure to artificial electromagnetic radiation. And I know of several cases where people developed EHS after being exposed to radio frequency radiation emitted by smart meters. I myself suffered ill effects from exposure to smart meter radiation, though fortunately I didn't develop EHS. But now to the topic of street lamp interference. Street lamp interference or SLI is a very weird phenomenon, although it's something that a lot of people have experienced. People who experience SLI are sometimes referred to as sliders. What happens in street lamp interference is that you might be walking down the street when suddenly the street lamp above you blinks out. Then as soon as you pass it, it blinks back on. Or maybe the street lamp was off to begin with and when you walk past it, it blinks on. Or maybe an entire row of street lamps blink out as you pass them. Or maybe this happens late at night while you're driving past street lamps in your car. Now let's be honest, it all sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? Maybe it's all just coincidence. After all, street lamps are known to fail occasionally, and people are bound to walk past them at the precise moment they fail. We humans have a habit of ascribing meaning to the most trivial, mundane experiences. We see faces in rocks, for example, or we find a shell on the beach and assume it was left there just for us. When I first heard of SLI, I thought it was totally ridiculous, and I had absolutely no interest in the phenomenon. Eventually, I read Hilary Evans's excellent book on the topic. Then, after I'd written a couple of articles on the topic, I started receiving a lot of emails from very credible people from all over the world claiming to have experienced SLI, some on a regular basis. So that was very eye-opening for me. While undoubtedly most SLI experiences can be attributed to coincidence and other mundane factors, a small percentage of these experiences are not so easy to explain. When studying phenomena like SLI, it's important to look for patterns. And one very obvious pattern that emerges is the state of mind in which SLI typically occurs, which is a stressed or aroused state of mind. A lot of people say they're on edge when they experience the phenomenon. They also claim that the phenomenon more or less has a mind of its own, meaning SLI just happens. They can't get SLI to happen when they try to make it happen. This is very significant because it suggests that the subconscious rather than the conscious mind is responsible for causing SLI. It also suggests a connection between SLI and poltergeistry in that the disturbances caused by poltergeist agents often involve the agent being in a stressed state of mind. And these experiences seem to be a way for the agent to release pent-up hostility towards someone in the household. Indeed, most parapsychologists view poltergeist disturbances as incidents of RSPK, or recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. And I'm very much of the opinion that some incidents of street lamp interference make sense within the context of RSPK. I'm also of the opinion that street lamp interference can best be understood as an aspect of high voltage syndrome or HVS rather than as a phenomenon in its own right as some paranormal researchers believe. Indeed a lot of sliders say that they affect numerous other electrical things besides just street lamps such as wristwatches and all the rest of it. The question of why mainly street lamps, what makes street lamps so special, can perhaps be answered with the suggestion that street lamps are easier to influence psychokinetically than many other electrical things.
Now, when you consider that the human body is electrical in nature and that the human body emits an electromagnetic field, the question arises as to whether such things as street lamp interference might have an electromagnetic basis. The further question arises as to whether the ability we call psychokinesis and indeed many other psychic abilities like telepathy might in fact involve electromagnetism. Certainly parapsychologists have tried to explain PK and other psychic abilities in terms of electromagnetism, but have they been successful? During the early days of psychical research, parapsychologists conducted many experiments to try and get to the bottom of whether electromagnetism plays a role in such things as telepathy and psychokinesis. They believed that extremely low frequency waves or ELF waves might well be involved for the reason that ELF waves can travel around the Earth with little loss of energy as well as penetrate objects that electromagnetic energies shorter in wavelength are unable to penetrate. They used Faraday cages and other means of shielding out electromagnetic energy and they discovered, simply put, that no amount of shielding can prevent psychic abilities from functioning. This proved that psi abilities can't be explained in terms of electromagnetism and that perhaps some other form of energy is involved. And yet, the involvement of electromagnetism can't be ruled out entirely either, because as I explained at the beginning of this discussion, every single aspect of the paranormal, every parapsychological phenomena, has an electromagnetic dimension to it. In my book, I explore the possibility that there might be, behind psi abilities like telepathy and psychokinesis, some other form of energy. A form of energy that possesses properties similar to that of electromagnetism, but which isn't electromagnetism. Could this mysterious energy, or energy X, have something to do with the qi of Chinese philosophy, or William Reich's orgone, or so-called other subtle energies? And what about quantum physics? Can quantum physics explain psi to some extent? But now to the next topic, and indeed the final topic of this discussion, the UFO mystery. In my opinion, ball lightning, earth lights and other luminous phenomena produced by the earth are important components of the UFO mystery. Although I remain open-minded regarding the possibility of intelligent, perhaps humanoid life forms existing on other planets, I fail to see any evidence of an extraterrestrial component to the UFO mystery, as per all those wild stories of crashed flying saucers and grey aliens abducting humans for nefarious purposes. Rather, I think the solution to the UFO mystery is entirely terrestrial in nature and that it encompasses such things as ball lightning and other natural phenomena. I've been interested in ball lightning for many years now and I've poured over hundreds of ball lightning reports. Ball lightning is usually a foot or so in diameter. However, there does exist both miniature ball lightning and giant ball lightning. Ball lightning is associated with thunderstorms and it usually appears near the ground following an incident of cloud-to-ground lightning. It appears to be some form of plasma. It can appear in a variety of different colours including red, green, blue, yellow and so on. It's also very elusive and is usually only seen for very brief periods of time. In most cases it vanishes within a matter of seconds, decaying either explosively or silently, and usually it gives off a hissing sound and odour resembling ozone. Ball lightning can do some amazing things, things that seem to contradict the known laws of physics. For example, it can pass straight through walls, it can split into smaller balls, it can bounce along the ground, roll along the ground, squeeze through keyholes, enter homes via the chimney, leave perfectly circular holes in panes of glass and even chase people around or interact with people in a manner that suggests some rudimentary form of intelligence. Indeed, in the ball lightning literature one is bound to find many cases of so-called intelligent ball lightning and these cases are extremely puzzling indeed. In what ways then does ball lightning shed light on the UFO mystery? 
to answer this question, we need to consider the phenomenon known as Foo Fighters, those small balls of light that pursued and toyed with military aircraft during World War II. The objects are described as being identical in appearance to ball lightning, and it's conceivable that they might have been some form of ball lightning that exists only at very high altitude. It's important to consider too the electromagnetic nature of ball lightning. The electromagnetic fields emitted by these objects might be capable of stimulating the temporal lobes of the brain and thereby inducing hallucinatory experiences that later get interpreted by the witness as encounters with aliens. This is not that wild a possibility when you look, say, at the research of Michael Persinger and his famous God Helmet experiments. The God Helmet being a device designed to stimulate the temporal lobes of the brain using magnetic fields. Of course, I explore all this and more in the book, so I won't delve into that here. I hope you've enjoyed this presentation on the topic of my latest book, Strange Electromagnetic Dimensions. Although our harnessing of electromagnetism is in many respects a well, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Um, after that, he just basically, you know, says thank you for listening. Um, I stopped it because we really are running short on time. <clears throat> you can actually purchase his book uh, at Amazon.com, Strange Dimensions. And um, that'll be it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry I didn't get into the convention scene. I'll get into that next time or I'll link it on our Facebook page. This is Emmy with the Graveyard Shift Online Radio Talk Show, and I'm punching out for the night. Thank you very much to East Coast Raid, Throne of Anguish, Dan Edenfield, Holden Strianez, and Ricky Mosher for all the musical awesomeness that we always listen to every week here on the Graveyard Shift. Tune in next week and uh, stay tuned to see what we'll be airing. Until then, I'm punching out, gang. Catch you later. This is getting me out of here. Bye, the nuclears. Peace. (laughs) 